This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Three guests this week, two segments. First up, Gus Johnson. Really does not need any introduction. He, uh, long time, obviously, Fox Sports uh, broadcaster, lead uh, college football, college basketball broadcaster there. For these purposes, Gus has been calling the NBA for Turner Sports, calling the NBA playoffs. The response to his calls have been out of sight. People are uh, loving hearing his voice on the NBA playoffs. And we taped our segment uh, right before Gus doing the Bucks bulls game two. Uh, he was in Milwaukee when we did our interview, and he talked about just basically what it's been like calling games, how he got back. Um, he would obviously love to continue doing the NBA. It's his passion. And also got uh, a little into Gus um, heading back to, uh, to university. He is part of a Harvard's Advanced Leadership Initiative, and that was pretty interesting. I don't think many people know that, but uh, pretty cool stuff from Gus Johnson on that. The second segment of this podcast, Bill Shea, a senior writer for The Athletic who covers sports business, and Robert Seidman, the co-founder of TV by the Numbers, who can be found on Twitter at Sports TV Ratings. We uh, do a deep dive into the USFL's first weekend, what we thought of the play, what we made of the viewership numbers. Uh, the tech things that we saw in terms of uh, what were good and what might be used by uh, by the NFL heading forward, and uh, what kind of audience is needed for this thing to be sustainable. And then we finish up with the NBA postseason viewership numbers, which have been uh, very, very good, and what that sort of means long-term. Obviously, uh, out-of-home viewership uh, helps the NBA here in terms of jacking up the numbers a little bit, but uh, get into a little NBA viewership discussion. So Gus Johnson to start. And then it's Bill Shea and Robert Simon on the Sports Media Podcast. Here comes Harden. Sixers with numbers. Oh, he leaved it, left it for Embiid. Yes, and a bucket head in. Woo! All right, as I said at the top, uh, I don't need to give Gus Johnson a second uh, helping of a bio, but if you listen to this podcast and you are into sports media, you already know who he is from his um, his work, obviously, uh, at Fox Sports as their lead play-by-play announcer for college football and college basketball. Um, you know, he's done a ton of stuff for Fox, including a lot of soccer coverage. Uh, go back to his days at CBS. But he is here today for his work at Turner Sports. Gus Johnson, 
back in the NBA calling NBA playoff games. Guts, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast, and it is good to hear your voice calling these games. Richie Rich, my main man. Hey, man. I'm so happy. I feel like I'm in heaven, you know, back in the NBA, brother. Inside, Embiid with possession, snatches down his own rebound, sticks it back in, and one. The big man. All right, so let's get to this. Here's, let's start here. What's it been like for you? You, you can tell just based on your call just how excited and, uh, and how into it you are. Yeah. It's been, like I said to you, it's been heaven. I, uh, I've only called one game, so, you know, but just having a chance to be in that atmosphere again and watch the greatest players in the world. You know, the other night I was in Philly and James Harden and, you know, Joel and B, Tyrese Maxey, all these young, great young phenoms. Well, you know, Harden's not young anymore, 13 years in the league, but it's just been wonderful. And um, I'm really looking forward to tonight and uh, seeing Giannis and DeRozan, the Levine, and the atmosphere here in Milwaukee. It's almost like a dream come true. All right, and I'll just sort of note just for people listening, we're taking we're taping this with Gus uh, about six or so hours before tip-off of Game 2 of Bucks Bulls. Gus, how'd this come about? How did you end up um, doing some work for Turner Sports on its, uh, on its NBA playoff coverage? Well, you know, I had always wanted to get back into the NBA. Uh, I was with the Knicks as the voice of the Knicks on radio for 14 years, the voice of the Bucks on television for three years. One year I served as the voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, uh, you know, getting away from the NBA is hard. Because once you're out, you feel it. So um, had some representatives put some feelers out and there was an interest. And uh, here I am calling the NBA playoffs. So you had Raptor Sixers. You're going to do Bucks Bulls tonight. Is you, do you have any kind of schedule after that? Or are you, uh, you truly on a sort of a, you know, one game basis here? No, it's not a one game basis, but. Because ESPN and Turner, they're picking games and deciding on, you know, which games they're going to to go after. The schedule isn't uh, – they don't really know the schedule right now. So uh, I'm scheduled to do the first round, and that could be seven games. That could be maybe eight or nine games. I'm not necessarily sure because this is my first experience doing this. Uh, with uh, TNT. So right now we got this game, but, you know, I could get on the plane tomorrow and get a call and say that I got to go somewhere else uh, for a game off Friday. So it's it's a a fluid situation. Gus, one of the things that's interesting to me about just this little stretch for you is that – you know, you know this from the NBA. You call a team like you call the Knicks or you call the Bucks. You see that team every day. Uh, in practice and in games, you see the league. So you got a real feel for sort of everybody. Um, and that helps your preparation for this one. This is really parachute. I know you follow the NBA, but you know, you're parachuting into Sixers Raptors, you're parachuting into Bucks Bulls. How did you go about the process of, uh, of, prep- of preparing for this, given that you're, you haven't been calling NBA games all year? Well, you know, I had to go into a deep dive because I didn't really know that I was going to be doing this until right before I got a call right before uh, 
playoffs began, I'd say maybe a week before. And I uh, had to go into a deep dive and try to uh, inhale as much information as I possibly can. But you take it on a one game basis. You know, you just try to get through the first game. And then like tonight, I'm going to try to get through the second game and not overdo it. Um, Watch tape. Today, we went to the shoot around. And we had a chance to spend some time with the Bulls. So I had a chance to talk to Zach Levine and Billy Donovan and um, DeMar DeRozan and talk to the PR staff and get a good feel for uh, the guys, you know, especially considering that I don't really know them, as you mentioned. But I have Greg Anthony there who's been steeped in basketball, steeped in the NBA. He knows everything about everything and everybody. So I lean on him a lot and just try to stay out of the way and keep it as clean as I possibly can. Gus, you've called a lot of sports during your uh, career from uh, college football to global soccer. Um, I think people really like your basketball calls, whether it's the cadence or the enthusiasm, whatever it is. Um, For you, what's different about calling basketball than anything else, and particularly the NBA? I think the intimacy and the – how close we are together and that's basketball in general um either in college or pros but the nba playoffs it's just the atmosphere is so incredible and it's so collective so to speak that it's easy to just have that good feeling when you're watching the best players in the world it's you know for example tonight i'm gonna go see Giannis Antetokounmpo a two-time NBA MVP who has an incredible story selling trinkets on the street in Greece. And now he's turned out to be a supernova. I mean, this guy is, is, is a star, uh, you know, and just to be able to watch him and guys like that, to me, it just, I don't know. It brings out an enthusiasm because I, I've been part of the NBA since I was a child. My father, uh, worked in a place in Detroit called Cobo Hall when and Cobo Hall was where the Detroit Pistons used to play and he was a facilities worker and a janitor he used to actually lay the floor at Cobo Hall for the Pistons and he used to tell stories about how I don't know it was like 64 pieces or something like that they would lay it and the turnarounds and stuff like that uh, to get the uh, court ready and uh, he would get me T-shirts, Detroit Pistons T-shirts. And I, I, one of my favorite pictures of myself as a kid was sitting at the boys club playing checkers with a Pistons T-shirt on at about six years old. So the, the NBA has always been part of my life. The NBA is, uh, is, is, is special to me. It's, uh, it's almost a, a religious experience for me. So um, when I'm out there and having that opportunity to be a part of this league that's done so much for me in my life. Um, I'm tickled pink and uh, I'm ready to roll. Gus, I, I remember um, the last time you were on this podcast, we, we talked about this. You, you, you actively mentioned you wanted to get back in the NBA. And I think people who are listening to this would probably be like wondering, like Gus Johnson's a national broadcaster called national major college football major college basketball has obviously a pretty big time resume, the places you've worked, but yet you weren't able to get back in so quick. And I guess the question comes up is why, 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 why someone with your name recognition, why was it that challenging to get back into the NBA? 
Well, it's situational. First of all, I've never done a national NBA package. So this is like, I prayed for this. I prayed for this. I really did. I'm a very religious person and a very spiritual person. And I prayed to get an opportunity to do a national NBA package. And it's, it's, it's situational. It's, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with if you're good enough or if you have the talent, it's what kind of spots are open. And uh, at Turner, you know, the legendary Marv Albert, the icon retired. So there was a spot. And we have incredible announcers here. Kevin Harlan, Brian Anderson, Ian Eagle, Spiro Ditas. These guys are wonderful. They're just, they're the best. So to be able to get on this team is hard because there has to be uh, an opening. And, uh, you know, fortunately, well, unfortunately, Marv retired. Um, but fortunately, you know, a spot opened up and I, and I got a chance. And sometimes that just takes time. It just, it's not personal. It's not even business. It's just, it's just a situational uh, play. Gus, I know you are not a, um, a big social media guy, but the, when you called the Raptors and Sixers game, you were trending on Twitter. Uh, most of that was positive, which in a mir- isn't in a sense a miracle on social media these days. Um, people were um, people wrote pieces basically saying, "Hey, thank you, Turner, for bringing Gus uh, to the NBA." Um, while I know you're not super active on social media, I-, I imagine you have sort of heard that the reviews, at least for Game One, were really, really good, and people were excited about it. What's that mean? What's that mean to you to at least sort of get that kind of acknowledgement? for doing something at your career, where you are in your career that you have not done before. Like you said, call a national NBA game. You know, it's always good to hear good news. It's not so good when it's bad, but, you know, I just have to keep perspective. I I really appreciate getting that warm reception, but uh, to me, in in a way, it's like, now I got to keep it going. I have to keep, I have to focus I have to to discipline myself to continue to be engaged in the process because when it's all said and done, Richard, I'm a reporter and I like being a reporter and I like to report on, on games that people play, especially this game. So I really, like, like you said, I don't, I try not to pay too much attention to the social media stuff, but yes, people told me that there was a really good response and that makes me really happy. And I feel like I have a responsibility to the viewer to go out there and, and, and give my best and try to make their viewing experience a pleasant one because this is important to them and they're allowing me to come into their houses or in their, on their phones or their tablets or their computers or, and, 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 and cover the NBA playoffs. And uh, that really makes me happy. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. A couple more here, Gus. What what does this mean? I guess let, let me ask it this way. What is your thinking now? regarding next year and the NBA is that will you actively try to continue this call some games during the regular season um you know there's obviously you want to continue a relationship with Turner just because they're a uh first class network but what what is your thinking now when you think about what you might want to do with the NBA heading forward you know I don't know that's not up to me they're giving me a great opportunity to be on the team and to be a part right now. And, you know, there's an old saying, be where your feet are. And that's what I'm trying to do, Richard. I'm just trying to be where my feet are. I'm trying, you know, the, the past is history and the future is a mystery. So let me be where my feet are and enjoy every moment, not look too far ahead, not look too far behind, go to, the stadium tonight and, you know, delight in the excellence of these young men that are going to be on the court competing for their cities and their clubs. And, you know, hope springs eternal. It would be nice to have an opportunity to continue to be a part of, of this. But if it doesn't happen, I'm so satisfied with uh, this current experience, and it, it's something that I'll, you know, go into the off season feeling good about. Because am I right? The 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 year that you did um, the Bucks for twenty games or so, Giannis was not there yet, right? He, no, he, he was, was there. Giannis, he was there. He was there. No, okay. he was there. Yeah, I oh, saw you're right. Looking out, second year. I was going to say, what was it like? Uh, what was it like to be on the mic calling Giannis as a first, second year player? You know, I always try to get to the game before the players even come to the court, right? So my rule is I want to be there two hours before the game. When I call Bucks games, and that's either on the road or at home, when I would call Bucks games, I could never beat Giannis Antetokounmpo to the court. He was always there before me, and I kind of have a personal thing. I always like to be first. When it comes to arriving, you know, there's an old saying, if you're not early, you're late. So he was always there working and working and working and trying to get better. And, 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 and he reminded me of Patrick Ewing, Patrick Ewing. When I cover Patrick Ewing pregame, he would work so hard that he would have to take a shower after he warmed up to come back on the court, play the game. I just think Giannis is, one of the rare athletes that I've covered in my career that not only has unbelievable talent, natural ability, but his work ethic and his passion for winning is second to none. I've never seen a player that has that kind of work ethic. I've never, I remember one time with the honest, the Bucks played. I don't even remember who they were playing. The Bucks played. It was the winter. I mean, it was really cold outside. The Bucks played a team, and they had a, and they lost the game at home that they should have won. 
after the game, for some reason, I was outside. Giannis Antetokounmpo comes running out of the... It's snowing outside. Giannis Antetokounmpo comes running outside in his uniform to the practice facility to work after the game. And he was so, I guess, incensed that they had lost that game. I maybe... Uh, maybe he hadn't played well. I don't really remember. But I here I see a seven-foot guy running down the street in a Bucks uniform in the winter when snow was coming down. I, I wish I would have had a, a, a camera in my head that I could have taken a picture of that because I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And that's why I, 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 I just, you know, I adore watching him play basketball. And I'm just so tickled pink to be able to be at a game in the playoffs on national TV to uh to cover him last one gus um the last time we spoke on this podcast um was um relating to you working with akib talib uh at uh, fox's um on fox's nfl coverage and you had said that um doing more nfl games is something that you you'd really like to do obviously you have a schedule with college football so it has to work but um as we head forward as we look forward to the 2022 nfl season what where do you what's your thinking on this in terms of what what kind of nfl schedule uh would you like to do um if fox is is interested in you obviously calling nfl games well i don't think i'm going to be able to do the nfl this year rich because um i i went back to school i'm back in i'm back in college now so and my classes are on mondays and wednesdays and thursdays so i'm probably going to need to call the college games and, and it's a good thing because it's at noon. So I can call the college games um, on Saturday and then get a flight and get back. So I could prepare to get some rest and to prepare for classes on Monday. And so I'd have all Sunday to do that. So I don't know, you know, at, at my age, I, you know, the travel and then the, the prep work is hard, not hard, but it's a lot of work for the, for the prep, for the classes. So, I'm probably going to have to, you know, to take a time out on the NFL this year. Oh, well, before we before we leave then, what if you if you're willing to share, what um what where you're what are you doing in school? What's what the decision to to go to college to do what and to study what? Well, I'm a, in, a, in a fellowship program and uh it's called the Advanced Leadership Initiative. And, you know, they bring 50 leaders in to talk about for a year of intense discussion. Uh, on uh, some of the problems that face mankind. So, you know, we'll study race, uh, human rights, uh, mental health. We read a bunch of case studies. Uh, we hear from some really great professors, renowned professors on all different kinds of subjects, whether it be the opioid crisis. And, you know, I have a class on a religious class where we talk about you know, cosmic law and um, collective effervescence. And, you know, we study the Aztecs and, you know, Buddha and the Hindus, and, you know, stuff like that, which I find very interesting. So, you know, it's been a cool process and, and, uh, and, uh, and I want to finish strong uh, and the second semester starts in September. So I just want to make sure I can finish strong. I'm going to check back with this. I just Googled this. So Harvard Advanced Leadership Initiative. Wow, congratulations, Gus. That's a big deal. Yeah, man. It's pretty cool. Tommy Amaker, 
Tommy Amaker, the head coach at Harvard. Um, I've known him for 30 years. So I reached out to him and I said, I was interested in going back to school. And he said, okay, you're going to come here. He recruited me. I mean, Tommy Amaker is an educator. He's not only a great basketball coach, but he's an educator. And uh, he wrapped his arms around me and he made sure that, that they found a good program for me to go to, to go to. And, you know, I had to, you know, apply for it. I had to write my papers, um, do my faculty interviews and get my recommendations. As a matter of fact, Eric Shanks, my boss at Fox, wrote me a recommendation. He was one of my three, you know, he wrote me one of my three letters of recommendation. And uh, he, uh, he, you know, he supported me fully on this. And I appreciate that from him because, you know, Eric Shanks is a man that's actually he's about growth it's because of him that I got this opportunity at Turner. Um, I asked him if I could have permission to do it. And he said, yes. Um, we talked about it because he thought that it would be good for Fox and he knew it would be good for me. And, and that's one reason that, you know, if I had it my way, I would never leave Fox for the rest of my career. I, I want to be here because of the people and because of the support. And, uh, and I just want to grow as a human being. And I think that this program, because I'm learning so many things from so many different areas of life with so many different people from all over the world. I mean, in my program, you know, I have I'm in a cohort with, you know, like Isabel. She's the former president of Panama. Uh, another classmate, Christian, he's a former three star admiral in the Chilean Navy. He was the undersecretary for the Chilean Navy, which is the number two position in the Navy in Chile. Um, so, I mean, the people just they come from all over the world, Bulgaria, the Republic of Georgia, Chile, Mexico, uh, India, everything. So I just it's making me better as a human being. And, and I think that when it's all said and done, which is the most important thing for me is it's going to make me a better sportscaster. So I'm really happy with that. Congrats, Gus. That's really impressive stuff, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. As the uh, son of a teacher, uh, I'm always impressed by uh, people, particularly who go, who go uh, try to further their education, particularly later, later, later in life versus earlier in life. It's funny because, you know, you know, I played baseball in college and I'm sitting here Today is Wednesday, right? I was supposed to be in class this morning at 1030. And, you know, I'm like a student athlete again. And my professor called me, texted me, said, all right, make sure you try to get on Zoom and listen to the class. We're going to be, when you get back, you know, we're going to have to have a session. So we make sure that you still are on schedule to understand the things you need to understand. And I said, okay, Professor Carrasco, he's one of my, my professors in my religious dimensions of human experience apocalypse class so yeah man it's good well i will say this yeah i i i, I you know these professors obviously should uh should uh, make sure their students are in class and, and get on you if not but i will say even any professor would have to acknowledge you got a pretty good reason for missing <laughs> like that's yeah. that's a unique one right you know like right. if nothing else you got to tip your hat to 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 the reason you're not going to be at the uh, the leadership initiative. Today. Well, you know, that's funny because I tell you up there at Harvard, Richard, they don't play. I mean, I'm I mean, seriously, man, 
they don't play. So you got, here's a funny thing. You know, when I, I've been up there since January, so I'm getting ready to complete the first semester at the end of May. So I moved into my apartment in Cambridge and I didn't turn my TVs on because I really wanted to focus on my studies. So I haven't watched TV since January, really. And I'm not a big computer television watcher, streamer, all that kind of stuff. So I get this call and then all of a sudden, I mean, this is what, a week and a half ago? All of a sudden, I got to turn the TVs on and go into a deep dive for the NBA because I haven't watched anything. So the question that you asked earlier is an interesting question because, you know, I got to figure out how to learn this league. But because I have so much experience, I know how to do it one game at a time. But it was just it was just interesting to me that here I am trying to do the right thing, trying to focus. And then I get pinched at the end because now I got to go deep into this uh, National Basketball Association playoffs when I haven't even paid attention to anything since uh, the top of the year. I will say, Gus, and just as I'm talking and going through some of the bios of your co- fellow cohorts, man, I mean, this like these are crazily, crazily successful people in business, former chief of police of uh, the Dallas Police Department. I mean, you're you're in the deep water, as they say, with some some people here. There are 45 people in my cohort. And if you had to rank up one through 45 in terms of intelligence and intellect, I am number 45, period. But that's okay because it's nice. You're in the you're in day. Yeah, well, who cares? That's right. You're in the room. That's right. I'm in the room. But uh, you know, I love learning. You know, Renee Hall, who is the uh, former chief of police in Dallas, is from Detroit, so she's my home girl. And you know, we walk back and forth to class together and talk. And she called me yesterday and and you know checked on me. I think the greatest thing about it for me being a part of the Advanced Leadership Initiative at Harvard is at 54 years old. I'm making new friends that I think I'm going to have for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. This is really impressive, Gus. Yeah, man. Who cares about the basketball? Oh, no. I'm impressed by this leadership initiative. Yeah, man. All right. Gus Johnson, he's on the call. uh, Although by the time you listen to this tomorrow, the call will be done. But he's on the call of Bulls Bucks tonight as we tape this on um, Wednesday, April 20th. And then we'll see what happens as the first round heads forward for Turner Sports. Um as uh, they'll make their assignments and uh, knock on wood, you'll be hearing Gus doing some other game uh, over the next uh, couple days. Gus, it's always great to catch up with you, man. Uh, congratulations on uh, on the NBA, but more than that, man, congrats on the uh, the leadership initiative. That's that's pretty awesome, and uh, I think that's that's such a cool thing that you're doing. I appreciate you, Rich, and I appreciate you always being interested in my career and uh, and all the positive things you've said and encouragement that you've given me because remember when we talked last year you might not remember this you said to me out of nowhere Gus you need to be doing the NBA again I did good I'm glad I said you said that and I said from your mouth to God's ears and as Professor Carrasco in my religious dimensions class always talks about there's something called cosmic law you know it doesn't conform to you you conform to it. And look at that. A year later, here I am talking to you again. And this time we're doing the NBA playoffs, man. So, you know, you, 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 you put a bug in God's ears and you know what? He blessed me. 
All right. I got to chat up God again. See if I can get something else going. There you go, man. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Gus Johnson, everyone. Gus, thank you so much. All right, bro. Thank you, man. I'll see you later. (laughs) (laughs) 22-2. As Jay-Z would say. Van Fleet. Has he touched the rim yet? He has not touched it at all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, I've introduced them at the top, but I'll introduce them quickly again. Bill Shea is a senior writer for The Athletic who covers sports business. Robert Seidman, the co-founder of TV by the Numbers. You can find him on Twitter at Sports TV Ratings. Uh... These two guys, uh, they love sports viewership. Uh, In Bill's case, he writes about it a ton for The Athletic. Obviously, Robert has done this for many, many years. And I'm pleased to welcome both to the Sports Media Podcast. Bill, Robert, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. All right, Robert, you going to be okay? I know how much you – I don't know if I have topics uh, like all lined up A, B, C, D, but I'm going to try my best – uh, for you. So here we go. All right. I want to start with you, Bill. You wrote about, um, you wrote about the USFL for the athletic. <laughs> you almost have written a book on it, Bill, given the amount of copy that you've, uh, you've done on this league. So open-ended question. What did you think of the first weekend of the USFL? I loved it. Um, but then again, I am completely biased. I am an absolute junkie for these alternative football leagues. I, I played in one in my early thirties. Um, oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, it, I was on injured reserve the whole time because <laughs> I was old. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I watched it. Um, and because I've watched so many, I, I have those expectations um, of what to see. And, and those were largely met. I knew the football would be kind of rough. Um, you know, they only had about three weeks of training camp, um, you know, and, and it's not the old USFL. It's not Jim Kelly and Steve Young and, and, the, and those guys, you know, stars that opted to go for the big money in the USFL. So to the NFL, this is a lower tier product. So my expectations were adjusted accordingly, you know, Fox and NBC, gave it the you know the broadcast NFL style treatment thought it went pretty well they played around with their drones and stuff and um, especially in the second half of some of those games um, it was it was exciting it was interesting you know I, I'm not expecting Aaron Rodgers out there but there was some nice throws or some great catches some big hits so you know it's uh you know whether it survives or not we'll see but you know I, I enjoyed it but again I'm a total addict for for these alternative football leagues what about you Robert what were your thoughts of the first weekend? So I am I am not the uh, the addict that uh, the Bill who is by the way he's the he's he's going to someday be the George Plimpton of the Arena Football League. <laughs> but uh, uh, you got to write the book, Bill. But um, I had it on, and it it met it met the most important thing, which was it looked like football on TV. It 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 looked like a football game, and um, I, you know I'm not into really any of the teams or the alternate alternative leagues as much as bill but um you know the one question that i had so I, i'm kind of giving them a little bit of a pass for this weekend because the 
the weather in Birmingham was awful pretty much the whole weekend and i won't really want to see if anyone shows up if it's you know sunny and 80 um because the, the only thing that i would have put on the visuals is uh particularly for the the sunday game was th there was just nobody in the in the stands which is you know it's kind of a throwback to covid it's not a great experience watching all right robert i'm going to stick with you and well, let's get into the viewership numbers. Um, let me, you know, I'll, I'll sort of inject my opinion at different points of this podcast. But as a general rule, I'm not a believer in professional spring football uh, having like as a long term business proposition. I think we have seen the data from all the different leagues that have tried this. And I think ultimately there's a reason that they don't. Um, they don't make it long term from business expense to everything else. I understand that Fox and NBC, um, particularly Fox, have sort of tried to do their best in terms of cutting down costs. Um, they're going to make all the profit, obviously, if they can get any profit. But I'm not a believer in it. I just I don't fundamentally believe the demand exists long term for this to make it. That said, you know, there's you know, if you can make, I guess, a business where. 700, 800,000 people watch every week and you get some attendance, you know, maybe there's a business there. So, Robert, we saw what the viewership numbers were, a little over 3 million, I think, combined um, for the big first game for both um, Fox and NBC. It ran on both networks. What did you make of the first work? What did you make of the first week viewership understanding, as I think all of us do, that ultimately what matters is like the sixth week viewership, fifth week yeah. viewership? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys and, and let's wait and see how it is doing in a few weeks. But uh, I kind of would push back a little bit on the, on the premise of, you know, spring football can't work on, only in this way. So if the comp is the NFL or college football, then yes, it's, it's not a good business and it won't work. But uh, you know, the question that I have is what, why should that be the comp at all in this day and age? And so I, you know, I look at a variety of ratings for things like, um, you know, F1 and NHL and MLS. And, you know, these are these are all leagues and I'm not disparaging the, the numbers at all because they're all leagues that either have recently or will soon get, you know, huge increases in the rights fees. And so, um, you know, I look at something that that, well, it did three million, a little bit over three million out of the gate. The uh, the, the Sunday game, I think, did a little bit over $2 million, uh, which I thought was pretty decent given the, the, the weather delays. Um, and then the, the postponed game is, is the interesting one on Monday. It, you know, ran Monday night out of schedule. And that only got 268000 That might be a good proxy for uh, oh. where things will be in, uh, in a few weeks. But, you know, I looked at the, uh, at the NHL ratings for last week, and – they were between like uh, 265,000 to 786,000 and the 786,000 was, you know, on ABC broadcast. And so I think, well, is it possible that, you know, if they're doing over a million on, on the broadcast nets and, you know, doing somewhere between 250,000 and 600,000 say on the, uh, on the cable networks, can they make a go of it? And, and the answer is, I don't know. But I, I mean, I, I, I think it, you know, other leagues have shown, that at least TV ratings wise, it is possible not only to survive, but, but thrive at those levels as a business. I think, yeah, so I think um, Robert makes a good point and a better point than me, Bill, in that he's not wrong. Like, uh, I think my prism or POV is coming from, well, if you're going to compare it to other 
sort of football-related properties. Like, it just hasn't worked. But if you look at it like, okay, can, like, we have a viable business that compares to, like Robert said, F1 or, you know, MLS or NHL numbers? Well, that, that that's a possible yes, depending on, obviously, how much the costs are of the league. So, again, you're, like, you've marinated in this stuff more than I think anybody, certainly that I work with or know. Um, what did you make of the viewership numbers, including what Robert just said, that uh, that postponed game that ran on FS1 that obviously drew yeah, the lowest The, the, the well? numbers to me were really interesting. <clears throat> I I honestly thought, and maybe I was just hoping to be surprised, that the opening game, the, the Saturday night game, would be a little bit bigger of a number simply because it was on two broadcast networks at the same time. That said, they didn't crazy hype this thing going into it i mean there was some social stuff some some ads on on the networks and stuff like that but you know it's not a massive campaign and i think that's by design you you also wrestle with the you know you don't want to undercut your own product but you don't want to present it as the nfl because then people automatically assume the quality and the numbers you know the viewership should be something in that realm and it's it's a complete you know it's a third tier property you know this is to me up there with like cornhole and axe throwing and and you know stuff like that 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 fills airtime you know and, and what what are nbc and fox's success metrics i i asked them they won't nobody wants to go on the record as saying what that is um i i imagine they're probably pretty pleased uh the sunday game uh the the michigan uh game i'm in detroit so it's that's what i was looking for um surprised me at, at the you know 2.15 million on nbc um you know it was easter sunday i figure you know people are meeting with family to eat and church and all that stuff and then an hour rain delay i'm like eh, that's gonna be probably low then no i was i was pleasantly surprised by that you know the the third game being on you know usa you know that that evening at easter sunday evening you know, under a million probably could have been better definitely could have been worse and then sunday's game way out of schedule you know it would be nice a bit higher yeah um but like you said you know this is opening weekend there's a big curiosity factor it was a holiday um a lot going on I, I didn't quite know what to expect. I, you know, it was on par with the last two leagues, but we've also had this just sea change in the whole broadcast industry, you know, between cord cutting and the pandemic hit and it just roiled every sort of expectation on viewership because people stopped watching TV. Um, and, you know, and I saw it pointed out that, you know, there's like, 25 million fewer people watching in prime time this past weekend than like when the AAF started back just in the pre-pandemic in 2019. Um, so, so yeah, you know, without seeing what the networks say, hey, th this is what we have to average to justify the pricing on this thing. You know, it's it's kind of guesswork. And you know, you, you mentioned cost controls. You know that that's a a key because everybody remembers the original USFL just blew itself out of the water with with overspending. This they're not doing that. They're paying these guys. I think it's forty five thousand dollars for the season. You know, that's a separate conversation on the the ethics and morality of of compressing the the salaries on these young guys. Um, but yeah, that's that's I guess the strategy to make it. Work work is keep it cheap sell it hope people watch and you know if it doesn't you cut bait after a year or whatever it is let me go to you robert um one of the things that uh i i kind of, i just because like when places sort of 
like overtly PR. It's just hilarious to me. And again, I've worked at, trust me, I worked at Sports Illustrated, uh, which overtly PR'd a lot of stuff in the athletic does sometimes as well not as much i think as uh, as si did but this is like what was great about fox so i happened to just check fox sports's website on tuesday it's not really a website i go to a ton usfl week one power rankings one of the top five stories on the site so i mean that in itself is hilarious to me you have Mo- mike mulvihill who uh, all of us know he's fox sports's uh EVP of strategy, probably has 15 other titles, but he's a very smart guy there who um, has been very smart about using data to make, um, uh, to make, you know, smart decisions at that place. He's got the ear of Eric Shanks and probably Lachlan Murdoch and the rest of those cats. Um, He's tweeting out. uh, And again, you, you, you forced me to go back on Twitter, at least to do research. I still haven't tweeted, but um he, he sent out the Michigan Panthers game, earned a 4.0 rating yesterday in Detroit, which more than quadruples the regular season average of Piston games on Bally Sports Detroit. I mean, Mulvihill, come on, my man. One, if you own the, if you had the NBA rights, we'd never see that tweet. Two, yeah. Yeah, the so Pistons? I, I, I mean, I, I quoted that with uh, yeah. the, the, the Pistons went 23 and 59, but still. And uh, and also yeah, other exactly people, other exactly. people good, you know brought good, up good that they're not sure how much how much uh, how much access to the Bally Sports in in, uh, in Michigan is and and I don't know the answer but well not just that I mean like you know like all right should I compare the USFL ratings to the opening <laughs> weekend uh, that the NBA just had when the Celtics and Nets rolled six nine yeah. million viewers in ABC I mean anyway I get it you know listen we all promote our own product but what I'm getting at Robert is what I want to get to you on is I will say this man this has been a massive PR push by Fox uh in particular like um they they've they have sent a ton of USFL content all over the place. Uh, I mean, I remember being contacted by Lou D'Amelio, who is uh, a former uh, head of PR at Fox, who's, um, if he's not the head of USFL PR, he's certainly like um, um, a independent contractor doing that stuff. But they've been, they've really pushed this. And so it's been interesting to me. I feel like they have probably pushed this more than some of the other leagues push their product. Have the, am I Am I too much in the bubble here? Or do you sense this as well that like, there's a big PR p- corporate push by, yeah, by Fox in particular. Honestly, and it, it, you know, it may just be uh, who, who we follow and who emails us, but uh, I, I don't really sense a particularly stronger uh, PR push than, say, uh, XFL in 2020. Um, but you know, I, I could be wrong on that. But one thing I will say that I, I don't remember seeing uh, versus the XFL, I actually I saw a lot of tweeting in my timeline of people who were gambling on these USFL games. And my first thought was, oh, my God, why would yeah, anyone gamble on this? But, you know, that's what gamblers do. And so uh, – You'll gamble anything. So that – all right, so that's uh, – well, I'll go to you, Bill, who obviously you're closer probably to this than me and Robert uh, because you've obviously talked to a lot of the PR people when it comes to the USFL because they know that you're writing about this. Um, one, what's your make of sort of what I – my sort of, you know, funny premise there? And two – um, I do agree with Robert. I, I do think that the USFL is in a more advantageous position than some of these other leagues because there are so many more legalized states that have, you know, more. there's so many more states that have legalized gambling in the last 12 months that there is a market, no doubt, for, um, for betters here and maybe actually an advantage play because I don't know how good the odds makers are yet in terms of figuring out, you know, which teams are good and which teams are not. 
Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. That there's a leg up on on the last several attempts at spring football because of of gambling. Um, I, I, some folks will gamble on anything. Like you know, a lot. You know, they're they're not pushing names with this league. You know, like I, I think it was the XFL had like Trent Richardson and Christian Hackenberg, and that's and right. Yep. You got you know guys you didn't watch really in the NFL, and why the hell are you going to watch them in 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 Double A? Um, you know. So, but the the gambling stuff, I I think, helps any sort of of live sports where there is a significant block of people willing to wager on it. And I'm seeing gambling content pushed around the USFL. Um, you know, it, it, like you, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on on the like the network, you know, local or national websites because they're usually pretty messy. Um, I did go looking for stats. I I did see the 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 splashy Fox and, and NBC to a lesser degree. Um, pushing pushing this stuff but it's none of it felt like you know going going back at it's what 21 years now to the original xfl was just an over-the-top you know crazy nutty you know over promised vastly under delivered you know it's a it's a good textbook lesson on how not to promote an inferior product um so you know i got some of the emails and and this and that and the other thing i didn't feel it was crazily pushed i thought from fox it seemed reasonable since they're 150 million in on this thing that yeah this is what they're going to do i didn't feel overwhelmed like that I, I don't see mailers and billboard you know traditional media i didn't see a much commercial wise outside of the two two nets um so so yeah but you know and the usfl has the advantage of more gambling is allowed now more is coming soon um and just the you know sort of getting away from the pandemic issues that we saw with live tv in, in 2020 and 2021 yeah, right, we're taping this on Wednesday afternoon. I just went on FoxSports.com. Fourth, fourth story on the panel: USFL Week Two odds. So there you <laughs> go, my friends. Just keep that up. Uh, and then if you go, if you head down uh, vertically a little bit, you, there's there's a lot of USFL videos here. So Fox, all in. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending. Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Bill, I'm going to stick with you here. What tech things that you saw were interesting and perhaps more importantly could ultimately be incorporated into an NFL broadcast. The most basic one that I think we probably will see relatively quickly is the second sky cam. Um, you know they've got one behind the defense. I think in, with NFL broadcasts, they're they're behind the offense. Um, it, I didn't see any problem with it. Um, I, I think it's just a, a natural progression. Um, there was a lot of chatter around the drones. I think the drone cams have huge potential. Um, you know, I, I'm also a chaos agent, so I'm waiting for like a punt or a pass to hit one of them and knock it out of the sky. Um, 
but uh you know and that's a technology fox and and the other networks are going to have to learn some discipline on because myself and a lot of other people were talking about some of those like quick turns and angles you're basically getting vertigo um you know but you literally was nauseous for like a couple seconds um that that's something with all the learnings they can learn how to fly and place the drones how quickly the drones end up in nfl games i i don't know um you know it's the no fun league for a reason um but the thing i was really looking for was the helmet cam because i was a teenager i think still when kerwin bell of the orlando thunder wore the first helmet cam in the world league of american football in march of 1991 and i was a high school quarterback at the time and I, when I saw him wear that and he got hit and it, you saw his head hit the ground, you know, from his point of point of view, and then it went black. I'm like, Oh, that's what it looks like. Um, they used it over the weekend um, to a little degree. They, they told me they were still experimenting with the helmet cam. They're voluntary. Um, but I, I didn't think the quality and the usage of it is where it needs to be. It, it seems like it's best used for like a deep free safety, a quarterback, um, you know, stuff like that. The, 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 the quality is, is it's, it's all jumpy, you know, much like what a running back sees going through the line is what you were seeing. And it's only a couple seconds. Um, so that's, that's another technology I think that hopefully we'll see in the NFL, but it, it needs to mature. Um, and you got to pick and choose the, the audio was the other issue. It's, they got 16 players on both sides mic'd up, the coaches, officials, refs, booth booth personnel, and at times all of it was going at once and it was true Babylon. I, I couldn't understand who was doing what. To me, as an ex-player, it's interesting to hear the play calls. Um, some of the booth talent was trying to decipher, you know, you know, everybody knows Spider 2Y Banana from, from uh, Gruden, but how long do you keep doing that? Because how long does anyone care? And does it, does it matter the play call six weeks into the season? I mean, and these guys are running limited playbooks anyway. Um, I think it's interesting. Clearly a lot of experimentation going on. And I think the NFL and is, is looking hard at all of the stuff that, that Fox and NBC are doing on the tech side. Robert, uh, Bill just gave us a, a, a roster of uh, of the tech stuff that he liked. You know, one of the things I think that did get a lot of um, praise, and rightly so, was the ability to listen to coaches, particularly Mike Riley uh, calling plays to his quarterbacks for a bit. The reality is I don't think NF the NFL would ever allow something like that. The leagues are too uh, – I'm sorry, teams are too secretive. Everything in that league is, you know, like the Kremlin, basically. I don't see that happening. That said, I do think Bill pointed out some things that um, were pretty interesting, and this is what you want, discovery and and um, and trying new tech things on the USFL broadcast. This is where you should be doing it. What about you? What did you, when you watch, what 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 tech stuff did you like? So I, I like the coach's audio, and that was pretty much really it. And uh, with the caveat that I've aged out of any demographic that the advertisers care about, I'm old, but... Um, you know, the people watching these games are mostly old, too. And so I wonder, like, uh, uh, if, the, if, 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 the, if the goal, and I've heard a lot of people say this, you know, the goal is to target young viewers. Um, and if the young viewers like the drone stuff, um, I like, I, I, I can think of a lot of good uses for, for drone cams. But, like, uh, in-game gameplay, for me, it's not one of them. 
um, that it's kind of actually puts me off in some way. Um, and, and that, again, that just may be me being old, but, um, you know, like looking at the, looking at the, at the ratings for the, for the debut that ran across NBC and Fox, you know, less than, uh, you know, fewer than 25% of the viewers were, uh, were under 50 and, you know, they did a little bit better on Sunday. I think it was around 30%. And by contrast, uh, I think the, uh, the NBA game on ABC, the, uh, the, the net Celtics, that was in the, in the 40% range. And so, um, you know, if the, if their goal is to target the young viewer, I, I support it, but I don't really know if that's the way to go, given, given the landscape of most people who are watching TV these days. Robert, I'm going to stick with you. What do you think realistically is a number that gets this league to a second year in terms of viewership? What what's what's an average viewership number where Fox in particular, but you know their partners at NBC and whatever else they make the financial commitment to go to year two? So I really just have to guess here because there's so much information that I don't know. But my guess is that the um, that the the broadcast network games need to stay over a million and that if they do, eh, you know, they'll, they'll accept, they'll accept whatever happened on cable to get to another year and see how it goes. What about you, Bill? I think, I think Robert's right. The, the broadcast networks have to be over a million at least on, on average. Um, and then, you know, you build towards the, the playoffs and they have, three playoff, you know, two semis and a championship up at Canton, Ohio in, in July. Um, it, the cable stuff, you know, it, it's going to be hit or miss. Um, I, if they can average around 500,000, I think they would be popping champagne bottles throughout the season. Um, you know, but, you know, it, it's going to be the network, the network numbers, I think, that are are critical. And if, if they can average over a million, I think we get to – a second year. And then, you know, then they, you know, this is their sandbox. What do you play with? What do you tweak after that? All right. Last topic. I mean, Robert, do you need me to have like graphics here where we have like <laughs> topic A, topic B, topic C, or can I just say like final topic? Here? You, you need, um, you, you actually, what you need is, is you need uh, uh, a good female, a a, you need a good female announcer to announce the segment topics. That's what I think. You no, need. Just, from, uh, from your lips to my, to my very small marketing budget. Um, so the um, let's finish with uh, the NBA. And I'll start with you, Robert. The NBA, this is per our buddy Austin Karp, who's been on this podcast many times, saw its best opening weekend uh, viewership for the playoffs since 2011. Um, the eight games over the weekend, so this is last weekend, uh, across TNT, ABC, and ESPN, averaged 4.05 million viewers. That's up. That was up 41% over last year's opening weekend, obviously. Different place with the pandemic. Uh, the big one was Net Celtics on uh, on ABC Sunday afternoon, 6.9 million viewers. That is a monster viewership number for the NBA. Uh, best first round game viewership since Warriors Rockets game four in 2016 on ABC. Um, again, you know, these are what I would call very early in the sort of the postseason. We'll ultimately see what plays out. Uh, when it comes to the Nets and Celtics, you have two great markets, but in particular, the Nets are a star-studded team, and people are interested in that team given who plays for them with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And Kyrie going back to the Celtics, too, is its own sort of interesting 
plot line. Uh, Robert, in general, I think the NBA has gotten off to a decent postseason start. Um, it's, you know, it's not LeBron uh, from 2013. It's certainly not the Warriors from 2015, 2016. But they got to be happy for, if nothing else, getting a chance to change the narrative a little bit and to have some, you know, positive news come from the opening weekend uh, games. What? How did you see it? Um, so I think... Definitely, they should be happy with the numbers, uh, regardless of what I'm about to say, which is, and you know where I'm going with this, the, the changes to the measurement over the last couple of years uh, to include starting in the fall of 2020, smack dab in the middle of the, the COVID pandemic, to include out-of-home viewing, um, really wreaks havoc on any any comparisons to prior years. And so Very fair. this is the heyday of PR being able to make, you know, these comparisons to 2016 and 2011, which did not have any out-of-home viewing uh, included and, and, and come out looking very favorably. And it, I, I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows it irritates me that, that this stuff mostly just goes undisclaimed. But at the same time, that's the measurement now. And, um, you know, pretty clearly, at least for things that scale, it matters and it matters in a big way. And so um, one thing and, and I, you know, I have people DMing me with like conspiracy theories that, that Nielsen is juicing the numbers to, uh, you know, to maintain its viability. And uh, I, I push back on that. Uh, and one reason is like I, I look at the numbers for, uh, you know, Braves Padres Sunday Night Baseball, and that did not set off any alarms whatsoever for me. And and so I, I think that, uh, you know, the out of home viewing really matters a lot for anything that scales. But, you know, I, I think it's somewhere, you know, for me, it's I'm going to put it like at uh, at uh, at least 60 percent of those numbers uh, being so good relative to the past is out of home viewing sort of in a post COVID era. And, uh, you know, and the rest of it is some combination of. Uh, there are good storylines going on this year. I, I, you know, I think some of that is 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 definitely true. Uh, and and Bill Bill brought up an interesting topic in his piece, uh, which I I think you know merits some some discussion because it's interesting. Is Easter now a, a sports TV viewing holiday uh, versus the past? And I think clearly, at least this Easter, it was. I agree. Yeah, I think Easter has become a sports uh, viewing holiday. I think Robert's point about out of home is is absolutely on point, and it should be factored in. All these numbers uh, are going to be higher, relatively speaking, than you know two to three or four years ago. I, I, I can't really get into people who are sort of comparing like 2010 numbers or 2005 numbers versus today. It's just it's nonsense. It's just it's a different universe. The world has changed. If you're going to make the same argument, like you know, like baseball's All Star Game in 1975 drew 33 million. <laughs> like, does that mean base? No one's watching baseball anymore because this year's All Star Game is going to get whatever a couple million. No, it's just it's a silly argument. And this was sort of Bill always my point about when people would pl- would culture war up the NBA viewership numbers and somehow like everybody has um, abandoned the NBA and and the league will never return. And they're never going to get to Jordan numbers. It's just a dumb argument. Again, I make the same argument with baseball. Uh, Like, okay, baseball will never return to the 1975 World Series when 50 million people watch the Reds beat the Red Sox. We're in a different universe. That said, I think if you're the NBA, you got to be happy with this. But 
I know I'm filibustering here. As we head forward, I do look and I do think they need certain teams to go far or they're in for uh, some tricky viewership. Um, the Warriors would obviously really, really help this league if they can get to the finals. That's the most important viewership team. And then I do wonder in the East, while I love the Bucks and I think Giannis is an incredible player, it does feel like you're going to need the Celtics and the Nets um, maybe to get to the uh, to finals, I think, to draw, draw a big number. I, the Heat are obviously an excellent team, but it's just my, that Miami market is just a little weird when it comes to this stuff. So I think if you're the NBA and you really could write down your, your dream matchup, I think you'd want Nets Warriors. And I think that's what could get you back into a big-time finalship viewership number. All the other combinations, uh, I think they're tricky. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. <clears throat> and, and Robert, too, on the, the out-of-home thing has been a, a big hobby horse of mine for a while because I, I get all of the viewership stuff from the NBA and every other league and, and organization. Yeah, on the NBA, they're <laughs> aggressive as hell, man. They want, you know... The second a good number comes out, man. Oh yeah, you got twenty-seven emails from that get, department. <clears throat> excuse me, emails, text messages, the whole thing, and 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 everybody they know that I know what out of home and the Nielsen change and and Nielsen's data goof they had with their their coding and stuff. Um, so yeah, you know, comparing it to a you know the Blazers Lakers opener t- literally twenty years ago, like that's a different. In so many different ways, 2002 is a different universe. We're all watching a different movie today. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not apples to apples. It's apples to another spherical fruit of some kind. Um, but, yeah, at, at some point we need to get to a baseline of, you know, comparing it to recent stuff. And that's going to take a while to get to because this is the new normal, you know, you know, with the whole get woke, go broke thing, you know, that's culture, all the culture war nonsense, you know, a, a rerun of little house on the prairie today, isn't getting the same numbers that rerun got in 1985 or, or 2002. That's just the nature of how, how things have changed overall. I, I'm sure the NBA is very pleased with this past weekend um, in today's context of, of how viewership works the you know the proliferation of, of channels the cord cutting yeah these are these were some pretty good numbers they they stack up well yeah. with everything else going it's on. about it's about at the end of the day it's it's about honestly what these companies are going to pay you for your rights that's how you win all this other nonsense that we're talking about with viewership i mean it's all fun lord knows robert's made a whole career <laughs> on it but like at the end of the day that's what that's what it comes down to is where you, you want to know the health of a league I'll tell you in 2025 when Turner or Apple or ESPN or whoever gives the ESPN uh, gives the NBA double their rights from the last contract. That will tell me the the health of the league. In the same way, F1 is looking for 75 million after they had a five million dollar contract with uh, with ESPN. Robert, you'll like this. Okay, I just wanted to look at this just because I was curious. All right, 1986 World Series Game Seven. Estimation 55 to 60 million viewers on NBC. Can you believe that? Pretty good. Baseball, a Ooh. World Series baseball game drawn close to 60 million viewers. That's amazing. Conference, NFL conference championship numbers. Yep. And the year after, actually, this is even more interesting because it's two smaller market teams, Minnesota Twins and St. Louis Cardinals game seven. That was a great series, by the way. 51 million viewers yep. for game seven 
of that series on ABC. Yeah. So again, as Bill would say, like we're in a different these these this is fantasy land. These numbers are never coming back. Yeah. Uh, unless you're the NFL. Yeah. Well, that's one reason why I think you know just to take the the other side of my my out of home viewing gripe. Uh, one reason the NBA should still certainly be happy is because, um, you know, versus say 2011, you know, there are tens of millions fewer pay TV homes now. Um, right. You know, and so uh, do I think that the that the old, the out of home viewing was enough to offset that? Um, I kind of do think that was the case on Sunday, but you know whether that was Net Celtics Easter, uh, you know, what combination of all that. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but uh, you know, we're in a landscape where there are tens of millions of fewer viewers than there were even 10 years ago. Yeah. I've always thought that like, to me, like I've always thought sports has been undercounted. Like I always thought Nielsen was off because they didn't count obviously, you know, bars, airports, communal viewing restaurants, et cetera. So like as a concept, I don't mind out of, out of home viewing because I think it sort of has evened up the playing field a little bit today. But at the same time, I'm also realistic. Like I think, the reason like this exists is because Nielsen wants to maintain its relationship with the networks. The networks have complained forever that, or or I should say networks, but outlets have complained forever that they're not really getting an accurate representation of, of how many people watch. So I think all of that is true, but I, I'm always of the belief, um, and maybe some of this is big city bias because I lived in New York and, um, you know, you'd walk down the street just sometimes like some random street in Manhattan and you just see so many people watching a game and like the count can never really be perfectly accurate. So I've always thought sports was undercounted, Bill, in, in some ways. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And and Nielsen's out of out of home. I mean, they're using the technology, you know, the, the portable people meters and that the best that they can. Um, but Again, it's educated guesswork, and and you're absolutely right. Sports right. has been undercounted forever. Like Super Bowl parties, you know, I I know people with like 50 people gathered at their McMansion watching, you know, the the Steelers beat you know whomever. That those are real eyeballs, and you try to you know quantify them and monetize them, and you know, like your point earlier about the the media rights, and there was a report that the NBA wants 75 billion. I don't know that they'll get that, but they're going to get a lot, and. The, the networks will command a premium from the brands that want to advertise to, to young people during these games. That's, that's the other thing. Can you sell the airtime at the rates that you want, even in this modern era of, you know, f- fewer people watching contextually? Yeah, the NBA is absolutely going to be able to, you know, or the, the networks, you know, ESPN and TNT, they're absolutely going to be able to sell NBA games um, and it's in a weekend like we had this past weekend doesn't hurt their case, you know, when they're, when they're going you know, when the league's going around for the next media rights, when the networks are going around saying, Hey, you know, buy, buy our airtime during these games. That's the success metric woke or not. Nobody is going broke with these live sports properties. Yeah. Um, Bill, before we go, what was the, what I'm sorry, Robert, hold on one second, Robert, Bill, what was the league that you were in your, what was your minor league uh, football it, league? It, it started out as the great lakes indoor football league then became the continental indoor football league. Ooh. Yeah. It. it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. I wanted to make sure we got them there. All right, Robert, go ahead. I'll give you the last word. Uh, well, I, I agree with you completely about uh, Nets warriors. I think that that's the cure for all, Nets warriors in the finals is the cure for all of the, uh, the NBA ratings narratives on Twitter, at least it would be, it would be the cure for me. Uh, and I think, you know, the combination of 
the Warriors, who are who are known quantity, Steph, Clay, all those guys, um, plus a Durant, plus I think you know Kyrie has some sort of big, you know, New York Yankees, Notre Dame, you know, love to hate them kind of thing going on for yeah. him. He's po- he's polarizing, yep. and that draws interest. Yep. I right? think it's a big deal. I yep. think it's a very in terms, you know, uh, I think it's your 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 buddy John Oran who says, you know, these series they they play out like you know TV dramas. And uh, he's a yes. good character for the drama. He is. I agree. All right, uh, Robert, uh, is there anything before we go? I mean, do you want to give a winner of the week or a loser of the week, or you're okay <laughs> if we if we get out I, of I'm here? I'm okay. We could get out of here. Because I know you love the Marshawn Oran podcast, and I know you love PTI. So you love these, like, uh, well, wait, wait, when we stop. Wait, wait a minute. So, so do you have an objection for PTI? We may have a real argument over that. <laughs> uh, I absolutely respect its uh, – its impact on the um, on the market, uh, its longevity is incredible. I I think Eric Rideholm's uh, what he's done is kind of remarkable. I think actually to me the most impressive thing about Rideholm is he's being able to do what he's done without being in the ecosystem of Bristol. That's his true genius yeah. is he was able to do all this away from that. That said, I do think PTI has spawned a lot of really garbage programming. So I guess you can't blame them for that, but I, well, I, I, um, I don't blame them for that. So, but uh, you know, I, I I ride with PTI forever. You could you could get me off. No, I you know could you get do. me off of the Orient and Martian podcast. I think it's possible. No, no, no. I, we uh, all that I I listen to them. I, I, it, uh, this helps all boats. If uh, I always feel like if someone's listening to that podcast, they're ultimately going to listen to multiple sports media podcasts. So then vice versa. So, so, so I mean, uh, Richard, one of the things I love about that podcast and the reason that I love the topic is because like the stuff that I'm not interested in, they just don't spend a, much, that much time on it. Right. And yeah, I know when I have a, re- when I have a wrestling person, I know Robert, you're not giving me the download. So that's okay. Uh, Actually, I would just, you'd be surprised the, those guys, oh, really? those well, guys are all interesting interviews. I can't think of they one. Are interesting. not interesting. Yeah, well, this is me just absolutely just trying to cook the system here, Robert. If you don't like one of my guests, just hit play for like literally two minutes. I don't even listen to it because then I'm getting credit for that, and that's really. Uh, I always do that. YouTube. I always do that. Same with you, Bill. If uh, if you if you're doing this, all right. Listen, thank you for coming on. I'm going to have you both on again. Although Lord knows, Bill Shea, I don't know if I'm doing another USFL podcast (laughs) for a while. Uh, <laughs> this was this was a struggle. Um, Bill Shea is a senior writer for the Athletic, covering sports business. Uh, check his work out. He always does um, like a viewership piece on either Tuesday or Wednesday. So if you're into sports viewership, um, make sure you. And if you happen to subscribe to the Athletic, and, and if you do, thank you. Uh, check that out because that's usually when he's doing a very very viewership oriented piece. But he's also written a lot of stuff about the USFL, including. Um, uh, a pretty good deep dive on just sort of what their expectations are and what they're looking for. And, and that's interesting to me, even if I'm not really into the USFL football. Uh, Robert Seidman has uh, been in the space for a long, long time, founded sites on this stuff, including TV by the numbers. You can find him now at, uh, at sports TV ratings. He is very, very good when it comes to uh, being uh, one of the first people when Show Buzz Daily, and it, it basically a, just an absolutely phenomenal site, comes out with viewership numbers, particularly in sports. He'll usually send that out to his audience. So if you're like really curious about like if let's say you're a college football fan and you watched Alabama Mississippi and you're like curious like hey what did this game do on on CBS on Saturday? You know, head to Robert on Monday or Tuesday. He'll usually have that pretty. Uh, pretty quickly for you. All right, Bill and Robert, thank you. I appreciate that, Robert. I know you don't do a ton of these, so. I appreciate your time. You sounded great, and uh, and thanks for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. 
All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Gus Johnson, Bill Shea, Robert Seidman for their time and insights. Enjoyed this uh, this podcast for sure. The uh, If you like these conversations, please uh, head to the uh, Richard Deitch uh, Sports Media uh, page. Well, it's not really a page. It's just really not the way to describe it. Head to wherever you listen to your podcast. There's usually a place where you can rate and review. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. The, uh, the recent archives last podcast I did was with ESPN investigative reporter Paula Levine and ESPN senior writer Tom Junod on their pretty amazing uh, investigative reporting piece on Todd Hodney, who is a former football player at Penn State, uh, a rapist, a murderer, and a story that really was not told. It's basically a predator before Sandusky. They did 30,000 word piece uh, on ESPN, including shoulder programming. Uh, Nicole Noren um, did a, a a documentary on um, one of the survivors as well as one of the football players who believed her uh, testimony. So some pretty awesome stuff that ESPN put out in terms of just resources that they've done. Prior to that, Lisa Byington, who is the lead play-by-play voice of the Bucks on TV. Kate Scott, lead play-by-play voice of the 76ers. They reflect on their first year calling the NBA. Before that, uh, Chad Finn on uh, whether you'll watch baseball this year on all the different uh, platforms that baseball has uh, Joe Davis, new voice of the World Series, was on this podcast, and Jim Miller on mega contracts for ESPNers and Grant Wall on some soccer stuff. Head to the archives. There should be something there that you like. I want to thank Patrick Antone for all his hard work. Thanks to Cadence 13 for their support, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.